This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we now have the dubious distinction of more than one million cases of COVID-19. The health department reported 8,847 new coronavirus cases Tuesday that pushed the statewide total to 1,008,166. And when the new stats come out today, there's a good chance the death toll will top 19,000. Meanwhile, in DeSantis' world, the governor wants the feds to eliminate travel bans so more people can come to Florida. Let's get travel from Brazil uh, back. Let's get the travel from the European countries back. The COVID crisis is a major challenge for schools, and the Foundation for Excellence in Education is holding a three-day virtual event to talk about where we go from here. It's called Edpalooza 2020, and former President George Bush served as keynote speaker despite some reservations. A little concerned about the name Palooza, <laughs> but it, you know, it, it's catchy. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's very modern, Mr. President. It is. Well, I'm not, since I had no idea what it meant. Reporter and author Amanda Riley wrote the book on how people react to disasters like the COVID crisis, and she says the one thing they all have in common is that our leaders do not trust us enough to tell us the whole truth. The people in charge always underestimate the public, which leads to more suffering than there otherwise would have been. Ripley never mentioned Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump by name. She really didn't have to. Today on the Sunrise Interview, a conversation with political consultant Steve Vancor on the constitutional amendment that would legalize recreational marijuana in Florida. Despite what you may have read, Vancor says the Make It Legal Amendment may not even make it to the ballot. So they're going to need probably about a half a million more signatures. And under the new schema that the legislature put in place, that's not incidental. That's going to probably cost them three, four, five million dollars to get that many signatures. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman who danced during a sobriety check. It might have worked if only she hadn't fallen down. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, December 2nd. It was on this date in 1823 that President James Monroe introduced his Monroe Doctrine during the annual message to Congress. He pledged the U.S. would not interfere with European affairs and went on to declare there would be no more colonization of the American continents by European powers. Michael Jackson's Thriller video first aired on MTV on this date back in 1983. It's National Mutt Day and National Fritter Day. More than a million Floridians are now tested positive for COVID-19. The state reported more than 8,800 new cases Tuesday. That was more than enough to break into the seven-digit territory. We are the third state to record one million cases since the pandemic began in March. The other two? Texas and California. The health department also confirmed 82 more fatalities Tuesday, increasing Florida's total to 18,916. In the midst of this surge, the governor wants to make it easier for more people to come here. Ron DeSantis wants the feds to discontinue travel bans, saying the disease has spread so much that these prohibitions really don't do any good. Let's get travel from Brazil uh, back. Let's get the travel from the European countries back. You know, the travel restrictions at the front end of a pandemic, I think, made sense. I advocated in January for the China restrictions. Now, in fact, people had already spread it from China by January. And so it was a little, I think it, had, I think it was positive, but I don't think it was as good. We did some stuff with New York because they were spreading it around the country. But at this point, it's an endemic virus. To have these types of travel restrictions is not getting you any benefit. And I think it's causing um, a lot of people a lot of harm. So yes, let's hope to do some 
federal uh, relief. I think that that's good. We obviously have worked to put people back to work, let people earn a living, uh, protect their livelihoods, uh, which is important. But um, you know, we're not immune from everything that goes on um, in the rest of the rest of the world and the rest of the country, particularly when you have these destinations uh, like that. The governor has been accused of trying to minimize the danger of COVID-19 in his rush to reopen the state for business, and that sort of approach is not unique. Amanda Ripley wrote a book called The Unthinkable, Who Survives When Disaster Strikes and Why? She says government officials usually conceal the true danger from the public because they do not trust us to do the right thing. But Ripley says we will if we get honest information from a trusted source. It's important to educate as many people as possible about the risks they face. Don't expect panic. Don't expect misbehavior. Actually, most people, particularly in a disaster, can handle a lot of complexity and information. They're hungry for information. So we know now that there was some concern, for example, early on in the pandemic, official concern that if you told people to wear face masks in the United States, then first of all, they would hoard face masks and then healthcare workers wouldn't have enough. And the other concern was that it might lead them to be uh, overconfident. And in fact, that's not how human behavior works. In fact, anyone wearing a mask knows it doesn't actually make you feel overconfident. (laughs) If anything, it's a constant reminder of the weird moment we're living in. And that was a mistake. And it was a mistake of the kind I've seen so many times in disasters, a mistake born of not understanding human behavior and not trusting regular people. So it's really important to democratize and popularize all the information in a school or an organization or a community so that people understand the risks that they face. So it's going to be different things in different places. You know, if you're in a tsunami inundation zone, you're going to want to have signs up about what the warning signs of a tsunami are and what to do. Um, But the fear often in these places still today is that people don't want to scare the public. So hotels and and other, uh, other various interests don't want to put up those signs. And there is a risk of scaring people about the wrong things. You know, for example, in the United States, we do a lot of training around school shootings, a lot of drills for kids and teachers. And it's, you know, that is a terrifying possibility. It's also true that the odds of any public school student being killed by a gun in an American school on any given day since 1999 are roughly one in 800 million. One in 800 million. It's not zero, but it's very, very close. It is much more rare than getting in a plane crash. It is infinitely more rare than getting in a car crash on your way to school. So weighing these risks against each other is very challenging, but it is something that we have to do and then take the priorities. And those are the things that we, that we train for and give people a sense of agency. There is always a risk, as we've seen with the pandemic, of making ourselves feel safer in ways that put us in more danger. So this is a very tricky calculus, and I don't want to pretend that it's simple. But I want to leave you with two lessons. The first is that the biggest mistake most people make in most crises is not to panic. The biggest mistake is to delay, to take too long to accept what's happening. And that is something to plan for in advance. And the second thing is that people in charge always underestimate the public, which leads to more suffering, 
than there otherwise would have been. Ripley was one of the featured speakers at Edpalooza 2020, a three-day virtual event on the future of education. It was hosted by former Governor Jeb Bush, and his older brother, former President George Bush, was the star of day one. Bush says it will take a couple of years for school kids to get back on track after the COVID crisis, and he says this is no time for states to back down on accountability measures like standardized testing. That's going to be the real challenge. I mean, I I don't think you can hold schools to pre-COVID standards until... Uh, we're head back to normal and give schools a chance to catch up, but they're going to have to measure to determine where they have to catch up. I think that governors should not be intimidated by the accountability debate because it can get noisy and loud. On the one hand, you've got uh, in some places teachers unions that say uh, it's unfair to me, the teacher, to measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's like the student is so hard to educate, therefore you shouldn't hold me to account. Uh, that's, uh, in a way, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Right. Uh, on the other hand, you've got parents saying there's no role for testing. Uh, and a governor or a member of the state legislature has to rise above that noise and lead. This is an issue that requires strong leadership. And uh, uh, secondly, uh, it's important for governors to prioritize education. And if you prioritize education, I mean, it's by far the biggest funding issue for most states. Absolutely. And therefore, if you're spending money, you know, you need to know whether or not the money is uh, effective. The former president also shared some thoughts on the election. He describes it as challenging, but was impressed by the record turnout. The number of people who decided to participate was impressive. Uh, it is uh, a democracy is alive and well. It is throughout our history been noisy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think when it's all said and done, people will be able to look back at this period and say, thank goodness we had the institutional protections. Uh, and so I tell people the office of president is more important than the occupant. We come and go, we presidents, we've got our strengths and we'd certainly have our weaknesses, but the institution of the presidency protects America in the long term. And I'm I'm confident it'll happen again. And uh, I hope people uh, in our country uh, feel the way I feel, which is we want our president to be successful, whoever the person is. That's right. Uh, Because when it's all said and done, we're all we're all Americans. Ed Palooza 2020 continues today and wraps up tomorrow. It's been organized by the Foundation for Excellence in Education, which is based in Tallahassee and was created by Jeb Bush. Some welcome news for Florida businesses struggling to survive the economic downturn caused by the COVID pandemic. Workers' compensation insurance rates will decrease by almost 7% beginning January 1st. Now that 7% figure is an average. It'll be the fourth consecutive year that workers' comp premiums have been reduced in Florida. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, a conversation with Steve Vancor about the constitutional amendment to legalize recreational use of marijuana in Florida. But first, a word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. As the number of COVID-19 cases are increasing, the potential collision of COVID-19 and the flu virus could lead to a new word Floridians do not want to use, twindemic. That is why Florida Blue, the Florida Hospital Association, and the Florida Medical Association have joined forces to encourage Floridians to get their flu vaccine today. Visit floridablue.com, fha.org, or flmedical.org to learn more and support a flu-free Florida. 
Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today on the interview is Steve Vancor, our resident pollster and pundit here at the Sunrise Podcast. And we're here to talk about one of our favorite subjects, recreational marijuana. There is, of course, an amendment called Make It Legal Florida that is still making the rounds. You may have seen a story recently that said it was headed for the ballot. But Steve says it's not as easy as it sounds. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. Yeah, not so fast, Kimasabi. So what's the problem? I mean, they've already got a, a fairly substantial number of signatures, have they not? Somewhere around, the, what, half a million? They do. They have 555,000 that are validated uh, and through the process and certified and up and operational on the uh, Division of Elections website. A few, a few more impediments remain, and they're significant impediments. First, with the presidential election behind us, the number of certified ballots they will need has gone up from 766 to, we're not sure yet, but it looks like it's going to be around 880, 885 when all the final numbers are tallied. Uh, so they're going to need at least another 330,000 more ballots. But wait, not so fast. There's about a one in three don't count because you know, a person signs something twice, they don't fill it out, they don't put the right name on there for whatever reason. So they're going to need probably about a half a million more signatures. And under the new schema that the legislature put in place, that's not incidental. That's going to probably cost them three, four, five million dollars to get that many signatures. That's, a, that, that's impediment number one. But Impediment number two is they started gathering those signatures. Now, those signatures last, and they're grandfathered in, and they last for two years, which means if they don't get finished and certified to ballot by September, a lot of those signatures start expiring. So if they were to start in June or July and start gathering signatures, they start expiring, they're going to have to gather as quickly as one's expire. So that number, 500,000, may actually climb to six or 700,000, depending on uh, how quickly they can gather them. So there's still a long way to go when it comes to signatures. The other interesting thing about this is the law says when you hit the 10% threshold, the attorney general transmits it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court's supposed to rule. Uh, we, we euphemistically call it single subject, but it's a little bit broader than that. Uh, but it includes single subject. The court did not rule last year because they said they weren't trying for the 2020 ballot. So the court has until April of 2022 to rule until and unless they rule. I think there's going to be a lot of people going to be hesitant to jump on board because it does seem that it could touch on multiple subjects, which you could invest that other $5 million and the court could come out after the fact and say, yeah, we don't think it meets single subject. But here's the third part of this, Rick, which was missed in the Jeff Schwer story. Jeff's a very good reporter with the Tallahassee Democrat, but he missed a vital element of this. The headline is five of five ballot items, rec ballot items passed in the United States last in the last election, right? In November. Sounds great. But Florida has a unique 60% threshold. Putting that prism on it, only four of the only one of the five, four of the five would have failed. Only one of the five would have gotten above 60 percent. So when you see a headline that says it's headed for the ballot, we soon are going to have recreational marijuana. You go, well, they've got to get another half a million signatures and have to have them certified and done by September 1. They've got to get through the Supreme Court, which is very particular. And 
They got to get above 60%, which was only done once out of five times in the most recent elections. And one other little caveat, this was a high turnout presidential election where the, the, the towers are level. The, elect- the electorate in Florida is going to be much more Republican in the off-year election, especially with Joe Biden in the White House. So, like I said, not so fast, Kimasavi. It's got a long way to go before make it legal. Florida gets to the ballot. Now you're saying it costs what about ten bucks a signature at this point to get this rounded up? Yeah, and you got to figure that's per signature, per valid signature. It's more because these legislature put in a bunch of criteria. You have to have these people pre-registered. You have to get them in certain places. You have to do certain things. You have to get it validated. Another little tweak to the law that nobody seems to realize. Two other tweaks. The supervisors have now 60, not 30 days to turn those around. That means this September 1, when these things start expiring, these folks better have them in by July because the Baker County supervisor, the Hillsborough County supervisor can sit on them uh, until things start expiring on the back end. The other provision that was changed in the law is you used to have to only pay 10 cents per ballot to get them verified. Well, the supervisors all submitted what they think the actual cost is. And you have to reimburse the actual cost. And that varies from about 25 cents per signature to about $2, some supervisors said, per signature. Right there alone, that raised the cost per signature pretty significantly. Yeah, it's sounding more and more like uh, constitutional amendments are going to become a thing of the past in Florida, at least the initiative petitions. There have been so many hurdles and so many barriers put in their way. Yeah, it's become tougher and tougher. Uh, I think the only thing that's been stable has been the court. The court has been pretty consistent, pretty stable on what it allows to get through. But each year, it seems the legislature tries to find a new way to make it just a little tougher and a little more expensive, while ironically complaining about the only people doing these things are out-of-state billionaires or in-state billionaires. And so we're trying to prevent out-of-state billionaires from doing this. So what we do is we make it more expensive so that the only people that can do it are billionaires. So the bottom line, Steve, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, Rick. <laughs> Go get your medical marijuana card and be legal, right? No, don't get in trouble. <laughs> uh, legality. Not something I've struggled with all my life. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview has been Steve Vancouver, resident punster and pollster here at the Sunrise Podcast. Thanks again for joining us, Steve. Thanks for having me, Rick. And as long as we're talking about constitutional amendments, there's this. Representative Anthony Sabatini has filed a bill to place an amendment on the Florida ballot in 2022 that would impose term limits on members of the county school board. If the legislature agrees to place it on the ballot, as 60% of the voters approve, then members of the school board would only be able to serve eight consecutive years. The Florida House approved this amendment earlier in the year, but it died in the state Senate. Your calendar of events begins at 9 o'clock with a meeting of the Social Services Estimating Conference. The Commission on Offender Review holds a conference call at 9. The Board of Massage Therapy also meets at 9 by conference call. The Gulf Consortium Board of Directors meets at 10. Fielding Miller, the chairman and CEO of a financial advisory firm, CapTrust, will speak during an online meeting of the Economic Club of Florida at noon. The Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 2. And trustees from the College of Central Florida meet at 3 in Ocala. Finally today, a Florida woman suspected of drunk driving tried to show off her dance moves during a field sobriety test. 62-year-old Diane Marie Pavlik of the Villages told deputies she had been drinking and dancing with her singles group and couldn't find her way home. When the deputy asked if she had any physical conditions that might impact her performance on the sobriety test, she told him she had a tennis elbow, then tried to show off a dance move but fell backwards. Then she tried to leave, telling the deputy she had to dance. 
her blood alcohol level tested out at almost three times the legal limit. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.